Bidzy Small Business Society number 72. You're listening to Bidzy Small Business Society. I'm Rob Barisoff. We talk to small business owners about what makes their small business successful. Connect with Bidzy Small Business Society at bidzy.com and grow your business. Bidzy.com is the website that connects customers and respected local businesses. Customers post projects for free in any of over 100 categories, including all types of home renovation, landscaping, cleaning services, photography, and many, many more. Now, if you're a business, Bidzy.com is a great way to find new customers because you are automatically notified each time a customer posts a project in your subscribed categories. So for example, let's say you own a roofing company and a customer posts a project in our roofing category. You are automatically notified via email or text, and you can submit a bid at bidzy.com or use our internal chat system to introduce yourself to the customer and give them reasons why they should use you to complete their project. Monthly subscriptions start at $14.99. That's $14.99 per month for unlimited access to new customers and unlimited bidding at bidzy.com. Email rob at bidzy.com for more details or start your 30-day free trial now at bidzy.com. Thank you for joining me today on another episode of Bidzy Small Business Society. Today I am talking with Ron Carucci. Ron is a seasoned consultant with more than 25 years of experience in working with CEOs specializing in business strategy, organization, and leadership. Ron has spent the last several years exploring his new passion of ushering the next ushering in the next generation of business leaders. He's a decorated speaker and author of eight books, and his client list is impressive, including Citibank, Starbucks, Johnson & Johnson, and many more. We welcome you, Ron. Can you tell us more about yourself and what it is that you do? Hi, Rob. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So Thanks for I, joining us. It's, it's a great pleasure. I, I spend most of my days sitting across the table from leaders and their teams who are facing some precarious, messy leadership or organizational challenge. They've gotten themselves strategically into a little bit of confusion, or they've grown too fast, or they haven't added enough resources and now they're behind on some of their commitments, or they've um, got some aspirations that they've been trying to get after for a while and they haven't been able to do it. So we're the ones they call as their Sherpas to sort of climb up higher organizational mountains to accompany them uh, and to figure out from an organizational and strategic perspective how to get where it is they want to go or how to get out of the mess they've gotten themselves in. Sure. So you have a book called uh, Leadership Divided, right? How do how do leaders you know get into that position of being divided, and how do you bring them back? So uh, that book was uh, a look at, interestingly enough, uh, generational differences in the workplace. One of the thing, uh, things that many uh, organizations face today as a challenge are what they so painfully labeled as the millennials. Uh, and so th- we began that research before that even name was given to these poor young leaders um, to understand why is it that this this divide is happening in the workplace. And so we did a ton of research talking to both incumbent and emerging leaders to find out what, why is it that uh, this estrangement is happening and was a fascinating set of discoveries. First of all, um, 
the issue is not a demographic one, right? We've created these labels, millennials, boomers, Xers, and those labels do nothing to help bring these generations together. They only give me a good vocabulary to explain why it is you irritate me. <laughs> but they don't necessarily help me work better with you. And what, it, t t interestingly enough, turns out we're not that different. In fact, HBR just published a study this week that sort of, sort of reveals this dangerous truth about millennials that they're not that different. And, uh, and so that research focused on um, how do you shepherd in this next generation of leaders? What is it they truly need and want? Where are they different and where are they really not different? Um, one of the fun things we do when we talk about that is we, we throw out these words, entitlement, overambitious, self-serving, not team players. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, that's them. And then I say, yeah, those words were used in a 1969 Life magazine article to introduce boomers. So turns out we're, we're not necessarily creating something new here. We're just repeating history. Okay, so your company, Navalent, can you tell us how does that, how do your strategies there translate to, uh, you know, the startup or the solopreneur or the small business owner? Yeah, great question. Uh, one of the interesting misconceptions uh, we find when we work with small startup organizations or even, you know, emerging mid-cap organizations that are, you know, hitting their stride in their fifth or seventh year is that all that big corporate stuff is not for us. That's not who we are. Um, I spent my... Uh, afternoon yesterday with a very small growing brewery, a very exciting brewery and cidery here in Seattle that's doing quite well, doing some really important organizational work for them. The, the, I think the entrepreneur's greatest challenge, of course, is how do they scale? Um, and scaling or you know, organizational mitosis, the, the, the division of cells within the, the organization to, from 1 to 2 or 2 to 20 or 20 to 40 it is no different really than it is at 10 billion, 20 billion, 10,000 people. It's the same work, but many entrepreneurs have a couple of very common mistakes. One, they fail to separate their own identity from the entity. You know, their baby that they create, they become so intrinsically wed to it, they become so intralinked to it um, as who they are that they fail to they fail to cell divide. They fail to be able to separate and give it life beyond themselves. And so in so doing, they suffocate it because they make it – they impair its growth and they arrest its maturing um, because they can't let go. So, Ron, this is where you come in and you've been doing this for a long time. So help us understand how did you get your start? Where was that opportunity for you to sort of come in and use your skills and use your abilities to, to, help, to help other people reach those highest levels in their businesses? You know, uh, ironically, as in many people's career stories, uh, Rob, it's by, by failure. I, you know, I, uh, I spent many, many of my early years in career uh, inside organizations working, doing the same kind of organizational work, but as an internal practitioner. Um, and, I, and my kids learned early on this, this really interesting phrase that they thought was an exciting thing. It's called severance package. And they got very excited every time dad got one of those because it meant more time with dad. <laughs> but what it meant was, um, you know, and I finally eventually took the hint, um, I, I had this nasty habit uh, of, of being truthful with leaders inside organizations and telling them what I thought they were paying me to tell them or pointing out challenges that I thought they wanted pointed out. Uh, but turns out I wasn't right about that. Um, but I, what I quickly discovered was what got me um, invited to exit organizations from the inside got me well compensated and respected from the outside. And so I went and started my own company that could go into organizations 
and have the hard conversations and be truthful and help leaders get after some of the major challenges that they either had long avoided or nobody was telling them the truth about. And in so doing, leaders then now have in us a trusted confidant, someone they can – because every leader will tell you as they get uh, – whether they, they run an organization of five people or 5,000 people, um, there's no shortage of people who will tell you what you want to hear um, when they know you have power over them. And so when we come into an organization, we're not vested in those politics, so we can tell the truth. We can bring honest points of view, even if they're hard to hear. And I think leaders are grateful to have that. So how do you establish that rapport and that trust with the, with the people that you're speaking to? Do you, did you ever, you know, then or now sort of have this feeling of, of being an imposter, like, you, you know, sort of wondering why these people would hear anything you have to say or sort of buy what you're selling, so to speak? You know, it's interesting. I think we all have our own sense of imposter syndrome. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think I'm more fascinated when I most of my clients have theirs. And so I think the gift I can bring is to say, I, I, I can sense your imposter syndrome. I can sense your feeling a little bit out of sorts or over your skis. Um, and I think that's the gift we bring them. Um, I, you know, the most important thing we have to bring is relationship. We have to create attachment and trust with these leaders because they're giving us the keys to the kingdom. They're letting us into the innermost sanctum of their souls and of their, of their organizations, their babies, especially if they're a founder. And so they have to know that we can be entrusted with that information. They have to know we can be entrusted to advise and work and create in their best interest. Um, and so we have to do that. We can say hard things without judgment. We can say and deliver painful truths and do deeper diagnostics that serve up challenging information without being harsh, without being condemning of them. Um, and assuming some beneficial intent, no leader wakes up in the morning and thinks, gee, how can I really make my people feel like crap today? What can I do to really ruin my business? Nobody, right? So, so when they get themselves into these, you know, precarious situations, it wasn't because they intended that. Um, and you have to give them the benefit of the doubt that despite their good intentions, they may have gotten themselves into a mess or made some choices that they wish they could remake. Um, and my job isn't to go rub their nose in that. My job is to help them figure out how to get out of it. So Ron, people are bringing you in to sort of identify those challenges. Now take us into some of your own challenges. Who did you bring in or what did you bring in? What sort of strategies did you use to overcome some of your own challenges in your business? Uh, great question. And I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of asking for help. So for me last year, uh, I hired a coach. Um, I, you know, in our own firm, we've had, we're 11 years old and we've had a wonderful storied, you know, 11 years together with great clients and great work, but our own growth is limited by, you know, when you, we rely heavily on clients who move to other organizations or who refer us. And so because we're a small firm, we don't have to generate, you know, tens and tens of millions of dollars of business. We we're a small firm. And so, you know, we're driven more by, our ability to make an impact than by than how the volume of work we do, um, and yet I, you know I want to be more choiceful. I want to make sure we're choosing clients that are the right clients for us, not just because they called, um, and that requires a much more sophisticated demand creation, um, lead generating, market facing set of muscles, and I didn't have those um, to the degree I thought I did or certainly wanted, and so I went and hired a coach to help me figure out how do I leverage my voice? How do I leverage our firm's thought leadership? How do I 
distinguish us from among the many, many, many practitioners out there who do this kind of work. Um, and it's been amazing to have help. It's been amazing to get guidance and um, uh, direction and feedback and coaching. Uh, you know, I mean, it's no different than going to the gym. You need a trainer to figure out what muscles to work on when and what tools to use for what. And then we also, as a firm, hired a, uh, a firm to come in and help us build some of those broader capabilities and teach us about, you know, digital marketing and demand creation and using our content marketing, which we had been using, but just not very well effectively. And now we're learning all about what that takes. And I think a lot of times small businesses like ours, I mean, you know, the, your listeners are our peer group. Um, they think those are for big companies or those kinds of muscles um, don't apply to us. And it's such unfortunate, short-sighted thinking. Um, whenever small companies, whenever we talk to small entrepreneurs, one of the first questions I ask them is, well, tell me your strategy. Tell me what, what you're aspiring to do. And inevitably, Rob, what I get shown is a financial plan or I, I get shown the orders from Costco or I get shown the last – the, the quotas for the sales force. So I get admit, I give, give an admission statement or the value statement. And, and, I, and I tell these entrepreneurs, those are all wonderful things that tell me what you want to sell or you know, how you want to identify yourself to your employees. Tell me in the marketplace why somebody would choose you over somebody else that does what you do. And they can't answer me. They have never thought through the true essence of strategy, which is who do you serve? Who don't you serve? Why would they choose you over somebody else? And what are you going to invest in to make you better than anybody else at a, at a specific set of differentiators? And as I get into that conversation, they say, oh, that's big company strategy. You know, we're just five people or we're just 10 people or we're just 30 people. And I'm like, but for you more than a big company, it's more important because there are more of you than of them. And if you truly want a marketplace to choose you for the right reasons and you want customers to self-select into you and not them, you have to know who you're serving and why. And you have to differentiate yourself very clearly. And when I look at your website, you sound like everybody else that does what you do. When I look at your sales force, they're just trying to keep up with the orders. When I look at your operations, you're just taking the you know Walmart call. That's your new strategy. Um, and that's all well and good when you're starting up and your first year is exciting. But in five years from now, can you sustain this? Can you keep doing it this way? At some point, you have to be intentional and thoughtful. And the hardest, hardest, hardest word for any entrepreneur to put into their vocabulary is no. They struggle to say no because they're so afraid of, you know, but, but we have to feed our people. And we, what if they don't call anymore? Um, <laughs> but the reality is... You have to make sure your yes really counts for something. And the only way to know that is to make sure you're saying no to even great ideas because you have to put your yes behind the most promising ideas. And that is so, so painful for entrepreneurs. And it's figuring out, like you said, it's figuring out who you serve and using your time and your resources wisely, I think. Is that right? Absolutely, Rob. And that's, I mean, when you are, you have a kid in a candy store and you've got this you know, maybe you're in year two and you've just hit $500,000 or you know, whatever, wherever you're at, it's exciting. It's all very um, almost intoxicating uh, as, you, as you ride the through of, the, of this rising wave and you never think that wave is going to crest. Um, and especially if you have momentum behind it and the marketplace is reinforcing you in some way, you think that's positive feedback. You think, well, I should just do more of this. 
Um, and it's very difficult to pause and say, what happens in three years? Because you're just trying to keep the lights on and keep up. Uh, and it's very difficult for a, an entrepreneur to take himself out of their business and, and learn to, to go from working in the business to working on the business. Uh, and it's a, it's a, it requires a very intentional boundary to take yourself and maybe some others away uh, far enough and high enough to ask yourself different questions about your business. And most of them are not inclined to do that. So now, Ron, it took you 10 years to, to step outside of your business and, and reach out for that help and reach out for that coach. What was that shift? What happened inside of you and inside of your business where you finally decided to take on that coach or that mentor? Oh, and you know, I can't even tell you how many times I've said since having this coach, why did I wait so long? Why did I wait so long? It's marvelous. I mean, I, and all I've, I thought to myself, I hope my clients feel half as good as I feel working with my coach as they feel working with me. Um, I, gosh, you know, I, I wish I could answer that question with great clarity, but I would just be making it up. <laughs> but the, I think the truth is I got to the place where – you know, sometimes we, we work with clients that, candidly, sometimes I, in our heart of hearts, we know this is not the right client for us. This is not somebody that's the best use of our time and the best use of their money. They called. We helped. We could do something. But I, I realized I want to spend my days with leaders who, who really need what it is we do well and who want, who want to lead, who want to change their organizations who want to get after the challenges in an honest and caring and humble way. Um, sometimes, I mean, I'm sure some of your listeners have met them. Sometimes you find leaders who are just sociopaths. They're just in it for all the wrong reasons and they're a little bit crazy and not very kind. And I, I just don't have any desire to spend my or my firm's days with those leaders. I want to spend, I, you know, we're a small firm. I can take on a limited number of these are these are massively transformational projects that we take on. I can't take on a hundred of them a year. I have, I have to choose the ones I know I can make the greatest impact on. And I wanted more choice. I want to be be able to be more proactive and more thoughtful in having a say. I don't want to be defined by the next phone call that comes in or the next email inquiry that comes in. And in order to do that, I had to make I had to find a way to introduce myself to a, a marketplace where it's very crowded. It's a very cluttered space. And I was getting frustrated by the fact that I, you know, I have a, you know, I have another more runway of my own career here. And I don't want to spend the, what, what should be the best years of my firm's life um, being defined by, you know, the, 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 the client that called. I want to be defined by the client that we mutually chose. And that required capabilities I just realized I didn't have. There's so many different tools out there for finding clients and connecting and engaging with our audience these days. That's a noisy place as well with social media and advertising and email marketing. Ron, how do you guys find your clients? How do you really connect with, with a new audience? Oh, my gosh. It's, it's I mean, I, I, you know, that was one of the biggest, most sobering realities for me uh, was just how noisy and crowded it is out there. I, I, I mean, to the tune of tens of thousands of deafening voices. Um, <laughs> All using the same language and same words, right? So, you know, uh, they, they have no more reason to look at me and compare me to them and understand the difference than anybody does. Um, and one of the diagnostic reality, when, when our coach came, my coach came in and she did a, a very thorough assessment and diagnostic and came back and said, you spend 99% of your time talking to people who already know you. 
um, and they adore you and they love you, but you're not talking to people who don't know you. And I thought I was. And so, you know, the strategy for how, how do I distinguish my voice, uh, you know, we're, we're learning. It's, we're learning to use our content marketing and we're doing, we're shaping the conversation around things we, the kind of clients we want to work with are talking about. So we're addressing issues. We're talking about challenges. We're publishing content that's expressly aimed at the things the clients we work best with are challenged with or talking about or asking about. So hopefully that as those same types of clients are out there trolling for help or support or trying to develop themselves and learn, they'll find that voice and it will be resonant with them. Let's dig into specifics. So like help uh, somebody who might have that small business uh, or that entrepreneur, how would people find them? Like give them help in, you know, what platform should they be using? Are you guys active on Facebook? Is it uh, Twitter? Is it uh, email? Is it YouTube? What's really working for you guys, Ron? Yeah, great question. So, so first of all, for us, because it, you know our business is thought leadership. Um, I'm, I write for HBR now. I write for Forbes. We we publish a quarterly magazine. We're, we we do have a blog. Um, we guest blog. So we're we're generating original thought leadership content. And so I think you know for uh, unless you're making a, a repeatable widget, if you're doing anything that's has an an intangible aspect to it, that's a service or uh, of some kind, you have to let people inside your brain. You have to let people know how you think and how you think about them. I think from a, a, a digital point of view, you know, certainly Twitter uh, becomes a very critical platform to do the one-to-many um, conversation before you can get to one-to-few. Um, and then, you know, um, uh, Facebook can be a very interesting platform. It's, it's a controversy about how much people businesses use. Certainly LinkedIn and 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 more specifically, finding the LinkedIn groups where your prospective clients are talking, because that's the place you want to find. There's you know tens of thousands of LinkedIn groups and conversations happening, um, and LinkedIn is far more than a recruiting tool. It really is a conversation place. But finding the conversation and getting yourself into it is the art. Um, there are wonderful uh, automated marketing platforms out there that will help segment your uh, subscriber base. How it is you attract. Um, certain clients, even the the basics of asking for referrals, asking your best clients uh, to introduce you. Most people are sometimes loath to do that, but you know your clients, the ones that you have served well, that you enjoyed working with, or the customers that are thrilled with what you provided them, they're your best advertisement. So using their voice, um, and this this medium right here, Rob, I'm podcasting. You know, conversations um, are a dramatically re-emerging medium on the rise. It, they, they died for a while, but I think written content has been so saturating that I think people are finding drive time podcasts. And this is really a very, uh, again, this is also not news to me, but I'm really discovering just how powerful this medium is. And so getting yourself into conversations with people who want to hear and talk about what you're doing is critical. Um, and and so many entrepreneurs, Rob, are so busy running their businesses. They're so busy delivering the services that they love to do, which is why they started their business in the first place. They don't have the time or the wherewithal to invest in working on the business and working on expanding the business because they're so busy delivering it. And it, it really takes staunch discipline and and conviction to separate out the growing and the and the expanding from the doing. Um, and that's for for smaller organizations and entrepreneurs. It, it's 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 a it's a difficult challenge. 
Now, Ron, let's take a minute. I want to ask a few questions so that our listeners can get to know you on a more personal level. Are you ready? Sure. Sure. What type of cell phone do you use? Uh, Samsung Galaxy. What type of car do you drive? Uh, a GM uh, SUV. Do you have a favorite vacation spot? In the winter, I love to go skiing. Uh, in the summer, uh, I love Europe. My family and I, my, my children are a little older and we love to travel together and we've loved exploring off the beaten path places in Europe. Do you have a favorite food, Ron? My wife would say it was ice cream. Um, I am a, you know, I really am a fan of comfort food. Put a, a great, well homemade meatloaf in front of me and I am going to be all yours. Are you reading a specific book right now? Uh, so I just as recommended to me, in fact, I just opened the Amazon package this morning. It's called Destiny. It's the story of um, uh, a presidential assassination attempt by Gar- Gar- Garfield. And I'm told um, uh, the power of the story of our American history at that time is powerful. So I picked it up. Um, just finished reading Adam Grant's originals. Um, Adam's a a friend, and I love his work, so I've just finished reading that. It's very good. Great resources there. Ron, do you have a favorite podcast? Um, yeah, so there's a um, one in New York. It's called Mind Your Business by Yitzhak Safras. He he records it for WABC Radio, Business Radio, um, and it's a he, he has fabulous conversations with folks. Um, and I, I mean, for business owners of small businesses and entrepreneurs, it's a great conversation I've seen that show up all over my feed, and I have yet to crack into it. That's one I have to get into and listen to for sure. Yeah, he's, he's really fun. He's a great guy. Ron, do you love to win or hate to lose, and why? Oh, what a great question. So, I, I mean, for me, it's interestingly, I'm an oddly uncompetitive person, Rob. So winning for me is about doing, my, doing our best, you know, making impact and not compromising on standards. Um, and I, so I think... I love to win in that context more than I hate to lose. I, I don't like to disappoint our own standards, and I definitely don't like to disappoint clients. <laughs> Ron, what do you do to unwind after a stressful day? I work out in the gym. I have a, a little home gym with an elliptical machine and some weights in it. Um, or I love to bike ride. Um, it's you know Seattle is full of great bike trails and biking places, so I love to go out for a long bike ride. Let's talk about your book, Rising to Power. Can you give us a few ideas from that book and how our listeners can use those ideas to succeed in their businesses? Yeah, thanks for asking. So um, it, that was a result of a 10-year research study. Um, we, we found that as leaders rose up in organizations, they were um, we've known for 20 years that 50% of them fail within the first 18 months. And we were troubled by how easily accepted that was as a statistic. So we dug into what was it that was causing the failure and what was it that was causing those who succeeded to do so. And I think for any listener, the four distinguishing things we found uh, apply. First of all, these leaders know their context. So whether you're a small business owner or uh, a leader in a big company, knowing the context of your industry, knowing what's happening competitively, knowing what the trends are around you. Um, is a vital part of being able to lead in the business. Um, they have breadth. These leaders didn't know just one part of the organization. If they'd grown up in finance, they didn't just know finance. These leaders had a, a wide sense of the entire business. Now, even for some entrepreneurs who start businesses, they still have specialty preferences. But as your 
organization grows and complexifies, whether that's number of people or types of clients or types of offerings, you have to be you have to know how all the seams fit together of your organization and be able to be glue in that seam. Um, these leaders were great decision makers, so they knew how to make good choices. They weren't afraid to disappoint people. They they knew how to blend data and intuition and the voices of others into great choices. And they had great relationships. They knew how to build connection, deep connection with those they led, their peers, and their bosses. And so you really can't put a premium enough on truly winning and sustaining the trust of the people you work with. So those four things consistently. And the scary part of it was that these leaders did all of them well. It wasn't like three out of four were fine. To be an exceptional executive, you really have to do all four of those well and with mastery. And that's a daunting task, but if you start early enough in your career, you can do it. So Ron, I think I missed one of them, but can you give us just the bullet points? What are the four keys again to that success? Uh, Context, knowing your environment and competitive landscape. Breadth, knowing how all the pieces of the organization fit together. Choice, being able to construct great decisions. And connection, being able to build great relationships all around you. Awesome. Thank you for that, Ron. You could find that book, Rising to Power, by Ron Carucci on Amazon. Now, Ron, what does the future look like for you and your business? Oh, gosh, I hope it's bright. Um, I, my <laughs> hope is that my ne- our next 10 years can be spent working with um, what we're calling the Future 500, um, the emerging crop of organizations who want to go the distance and not just you know, pump and dump money and get out, but truly grow thriving organizations. And um, we we're, we need companies who want to become great companies. It, you, you know, used to be the big companies were the, the ultimate place you wanted to be employed. Now big companies are their employer of last resort. And so we can't just have everybody being, I mean, if you, interestingly enough, if you look at the statistics that say 70% of the workplace is disengaged and 40% of the workplace is our freelancers. Well, that means people are quitting and staying or quitting and leaving. Um, And neither are good. And so we have to have people who want to grow thriving companies that people want to work in that do good work. And so my hope is that we can help usher in the future 500 with with leaders and um, businesses that, that will thrive, that will do great work for their marketplaces and society and their communities and be great places to work that people want to go to work in. And the good news is we're finding them. We're finding part of my new uh, thrust in my Forbes column is to go and find those great, smaller, emerging companies that are doing fabulous things and inspiring things and tell their stories. Ron, if people want to learn more about this optimistic and enthusiastic approach that you have to business, how can they find you? Uh, A couple of places. One, you can come to my website, www.navalent.com. Uh, You can follow me on Forbes, Ron Carucci, uh, and read my articles there and my stories there. At Twitter, I'm at Ron Carucci. Ron, thanks so much for spending some time with us today on Bidzy Small Business Society. We learned a lot. We really dug in there. Appreciate it so much. All right. You take care. Rob, great conversation. Thanks so much for having me. Bidzy.com is the website that connects customers and respected local businesses. Customers list goods or services they need and businesses bid on them. Customers, if you're looking for a service provider or a local professional, go to Bidzy.com and post your projects for free. Businesses, if you're looking for new customers or a way to expand your customer base, sign up for your 30-day free trial today at Bidzy.com. Thank you for joining us today on Bidzy Small Business Society. 
Go to Bidzy.com for information and resources on how you can grow your business. Support Bidzy Small Business Society by writing a review and giving us a five-star rating in iTunes. Your positive review and five-star rating will allow us to continue bringing you free, valuable content from amazing and inspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners. Rate and review Bidzy Small Business Society today.